Welcome back, everyone. I'm Sarah Peck, and this is the Startup Pregnant Podcast. So this episode has a lot of giggles in it because I have the great honor and pleasure of interviewing somebody I've known for a really long time, my freshman year college roommate. So one of the first people I met when I went to college was Shafali. Her name was Shafali Mather at the time, and she's now Dr. Shafali Christopher. I'm so grateful that she and I have stayed in touch because there is so much wisdom she has to offer our community in particular. She is a board-certified clinical specialist in sports physical therapy, and she specifically helps people with a postpartum journey and studying and researching how to recover for postpartum women. She divides her time between patient care and instructing in the Duke physical therapy curriculum. She's a swimmer, a biker, she runs, she works out, and she is also a widespread speaker on giving talks both locally and nationally on how to treat triathletes. She's now recently moved into a practice of helping postpartum athletes return to their sport safely, and she's doing her PhD research in the return to running for the postpartum population. What does it look like to be a runner, to have a baby, and then to recover and return to running and stay physically in shape? She was one of the people who actually texted me after I had my kid and gave me different pieces of advice about how to take care of my core and make sure that I was staying strong in different areas so that I didn't end up lapsing into bad form while running or doing other exercises due to the big shifts and changes that happen in your core and your midsection. In this episode, we talk about the healing journey in the body and how long it really takes to recover what exercises you can think about, why physical therapy is so incredibly important and it's such a bad thing that it's overlooked so much in the United States, and so much more. She also has some stories about how becoming pregnant and becoming a parent changed her career path in sports physical therapy. Because if you're on call working with football teams at night games all the time, how does that coincide with having children? She ended up making a really strategic and wise change in her career path and became more of a researcher, which is what led her to what she's doing today. And she did that in part because she got pregnant and she had children. She also has some stories about how her breast pump got fried due to the voltage change when she traveled to South Korea. So she was on the medical staff of the World University Games with Team USA. I am so grateful that she joined us on this episode. And like I mentioned at the beginning, because we have been friends for so long and because we knew each other freshman year in college, she does try to sneak in a few anecdotes about, um, my college self and all the things and ways we got in trouble. So I definitely tried to keep that out of the episode, but uh, it comes up a few times. So please enjoy both the wealth of wisdom that she has to offer and how much she knows about my personal life. Here we go. Let's get started. Welcome to the Startup Pregnant Podcast, where we talk to creative leaders about what it means to be an entrepreneur and a parent. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. Before we get started today, I want to tell you all about the mastermind that we're putting together for the Startup Pregnant community. 
One of the things that has changed my life the most, this is Sarah talking, my personal life, is being part of communities of women and entrepreneurs where we get to go really deep. People who hold me accountable, that laugh with me when things go crazy wrong, that cheer on my successes, that feel how painful it is when things don't work, and know how much time and energy it takes to really, really make beautiful work in the world. Community makes all the difference. So at Startup Pregnant, we are launching a mastermind program for Startup Pregnant listeners, for Startup Pregnant women. Women who are interested in going deeper around questions about parenting, about motherhood, and about leadership in both business and life. We're launching a small private beta version of the mastermind this summer in June 2018. And if you would like to apply to join the mastermind, go to startuppregnant.com slash mastermind so that you can get on the list. And when you put your name on the list, I will send you more details about how the program works and what we're looking for and how to apply. So that link again is startuppregnant.com on our website slash mastermind. You can also find it in our main navigation. So go put your name on the list so that you can get more details and apply if this is something that sounds right for you. All right, everyone, I am so, so excited to have a dear friend, a longtime friend on the show. Shafali, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Sarah. We were just giggling because there are so many stories we could tell about <laughs> each other on the show. But can you share with everyone like how we met, how we know each other? Yeah. So I grew up in Bombay, India, and I got off a plane in Granville, Ohio in 2005. No, 2001. Gosh, it was even longer than that. <laughs> and I got in a car at the airport with my parents and drove to Crawford Hall. And Sarah was my first American friend because she was my assigned roommate. And she was coming from pretty far away, but I beat her. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I came from California and all my friends were like, why would you go to Ohio? We don't actually understand you anymore. But I don't been my friends, but <laughs> <laughs> my friends were going to, you know, Berkeley and Northwestern. And here I was going to Granville, Ohio to Denison University. So And we were roommates and we go back a little ways. I can't believe the college was that long ago. I remember hearing other people say that, the alumni being like, oh, right. it goes so fast. And I was like, that will never be me. But here we are. <laughs> yeah. 15 years later. Yeah. So. so in the time since I first met you and spent so much time with you, you have done a tremendous amount. You have done a lot of research. You're in the process of getting a PhD. Can you tell people what your background is and what you study and where you are today? Sure. Yeah. So at Denison University, I came in as a media technology and arts major after doing a summer internship at MTV India. And I thought that was what I was going to go back and do. I actually found out that sitting all alone in an editing studio was not my cup of tea and uh, happened to get my first job at Denison making ice bags at the athletic training room. That's when I was introduced to the world of athletic training. It didn't exist back home. And I watched the students, you know, learn how to evaluate different injuries and learn to treat them and get an athlete back on the field. And being an, an athlete myself, Sarah and I swam together all four years of college. It was something that really intrigued me. And while I didn't think I wanted to go back to med school, I felt like being an expert at helping 
someone get back to the sport was really something I, I would like to do. And so I actually switched majors to athletic training and I graduated from Denison with an athletic training major. And then I went on to Duke for physical therapy school. And right after physical therapy school, I worked at one of their clinics for a while, working with high school athletes in the afternoons and seeing patients in the morning. That's kind of where I developed a kind of a niche practice for uh, triathletes and runners. Since then, I've uh, moved on to academia. I just started a job this summer. As part of being in uh, physical therapy academia, the accreditation body requires your faculty to have a PhD. And so I started a PhD with the University of Newcastle in Australia about a year and a half ago. And I'm researching pain in postpartum runners. Because when I was having my practice of all these endurance athletes, if I had to look back, you know, about 90% of the people that came to me were women runners that had had babies. So when I started my research, I wanted to know a little bit more about what are the causes of why they were having this. I mean, I, you can make sense, you know, you grow a baby inside of you, you're going to have to recover from it a little bit. But why two, three, even 10 years after are people having pain? Surprisingly, if you look in the literature, there's really not much. There are a bunch of case studies. And there's a survey that says that, yes, these women are having pain. But other than that, it's very bleak. There's nothing out there. So I decided that I was going to really delve into this. And hopefully, the end goal is to show that maybe we do need better postpartum care after you have a baby instead of just that six-week checkup. And that's about it. I remember after I gave birth to our little one, you texted me right away. Within the first four to six weeks, you had a lot of very specific advice about how much care and how much repairing it was going to take in my body and not to go out and do hard physical activity right away. <laughs> oh, gosh, I'm so sorry that I did that to you. <laughs> no, it was so wonderful. It was. And you recommended even seeing a physical therapist, which I think it's hard sometimes to remember going back what your mindset was like, but the wisdom and the knowledge shared with women about what to do postpartum is very limited. So what are some of the common like misconceptions you see and what do people do postpartum that you wish they did differently? Yeah, Sarah, you know, it's not so much a misconception, but we're all trying to, you know, just find our basic normal. And for some of us who've been avid exercisers, you know, getting up and going outside and doing a run and feeling the endorphins and that's what makes us feel like ourselves. That's what defines us. And so it's not uncommon for moms, you know, after you've been at home, you know, even the first week to feel that itch like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to go nuts. I need to go out. I need to do my thing. I need to sweat a little. I need to get some exercise. And so it's not uncommon for us to go out and just push it a little bit, you know, thinking like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm an athlete. I have a body of an athlete. And so I don't think we do it wrong. But I think that we're seeking normalcy. We're seeking like just our baseline. And so we go out and we do these things. But what we forget is that our body just went through this humongous transformation. I mean, your core muscles just got overstretched. Your pelvic floor may have just gotten torn apart. Your stomach fascia may have been torn apart if you had a C-section. And what we don't realize is 
all this takes a really long time to heal and that we need to help it heal. So I think that's one of the things that we don't do well. Other sides of the world, some people get four to five physical therapy visits as part of their postpartum care, where you go back and you learn, like, where is my pelvic floor? I mean, even as a physical therapist, if you asked me to do a Kegel back then, I thought I was doing a right Kegel. But then a friend of mine needed to like test some sensors. And she was like, all right, do a Kegel. She's an internal woman's health physical therapist that's allowed to do internal work. And she put the sensor in and I was squeezing all the wrong muscles and thinking like, oh, yeah, I know what I'm doing. And so we don't realize the extent of what's going on in our body. And then, you know, on top of that, some women have to be put on bed rest. And so I think about it like a video game, you know, maybe even like shoots and ladders, if you must, like you've gone through a lot of shoots and you need to build back up and climb those ladders to be at the level that you were again. And so the biggest recommendation I have for at least all my runners and endurance athletes is, you know, that Pilates class or that bar class or anything that works on your core strength is probably your best bet for those few months where you're trying to sweat again and bring back the normalcy in your life. So that makes a lot of sense. And I'm now remembering, I think you did send me a text message that was like planks, do planks. (laughs) (laughs) It was like Pilates. Um, Right, right. I knew you were the type to be like, all right, I'm going to go nuts. (laughs) I need to go out and do something. And so I felt comfortable enough uh, telling you not to do that even before you put it on social media or something. (laughs) It's totally fine. I think we have that kind of relationship. It's true. It's not always wise to just text a postpartum mother with random advice. But like, if you've been college roommates with someone, I think you get a free pass. Oh, Sarah, we don't have enough time on this podcast to share all the dirt I have on you. (laughs) Oh, I think I've like selectively blocked some of those most embarrassing moments. You know, you get get into your 30s and you're like, whatever I did when I was 18, 19, 20, 21. I I think uh, I witnessed your first kiss from across the room in my bed trying to hide under the covers and and I was asleep. So your first college kiss, at least I was like, Oh, God, I don't know what to do. I'm from a different country. I'll just hide under the covers. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember the time that a random guy walked in our room because he thought it was the bathroom? I do. It was the middle of the the night. And we were both so scared. Like, uh, I don't know why we forgot to lock the door. (laughs) Oh, my God. I do remember that. Well, we could get so off topic, but if anyone wants all the dirt, (laughs) I'm never publishing your profile. Oh, goodness. So, one of the reasons, besides being one of my favorite people, I'm having you on the show is because you're also just such an expert and you have such a depth of knowledge about not just our bodies, but our physicality and the the way that we work, especially for ambitious people, people who want to get back up and run. Can you talk about your journey into motherhood? What was it like for you? And how did your body change? Yeah, so, you know, I had a pretty simple and easy pregnancy. I love being pregnant. I'm one of those people who like, I would even consider carrying someone else's kid because I I just loved it. I loved using my belly as a shell. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) I loved every part of pregnancy. But what labor did to my pelvic floor and what growing a baby inside did to my core strength was just unimaginable. And, you know, to really feel the depths of that, 
you know, trying to do a plank like you used to pre-baby and post-baby, like that's what shows you just what happens during pregnancy or trying to, you know, start to run again. I don't know. Have you gone back to running as yet, Sarah? I have done some light jogging. So I'm about 20 months postpartum and I sometimes go out to the meadow in the park by our house and I'll run five laps, which I think is like a mile. It's at like 13 minute pace. It's on the borderline between walking and running. (laughs) But isn't it how fascinating? Like your body doesn't even feel like your own body. It's like Mm. a completely different, you're learning how to be in touch with your muscles again, how to contract them again, how to work them again. So I think that was more shocking to me with my journey, at least physically. And it took a lot of work. You know, it was very humbling to see just exactly what happens. I mean, I remember standing in front of a mirror, our last swim meet with Jill Boo. And I remember standing then we giggled. That was the last time we'll see our six back. And I think like she was absolutely spot on with it because like, it's going to take me, I think, years before I can see any sort of resemblance to anything like that again. <laughs> Just because like learning how to use those muscles has been very interesting. And, you know, I teach my patients how they're compensating. So, you know, it's very easy to use your hip flexors, to use your back muscles, to think you're doing the right thing. But then later you realize, oh, my back was doing all the lifting or, you know, I did all these core exercises, but the front of my hips were really tight. So it's very easy for your body to do an activity, but to do it correctly and use the right muscles so that you don't injure something, that's a unique thing altogether. It so is. And some of this is like systemic in our bodies. You'll love this story. My sister and my brother and I all have weak glutes. Apparently, we all learned how to walk wrong. And we've seen physical therapists separately. And they're all like, oh, you don't push through the full length of your mm-hmm. of your legs. Yep. And that's yep. just something from our whole lives. And then I had a big back injury about eight months after delivering. And mm-hmm. that ended up sending me to a physical therapist. The physical therapist said, I can fix your back, but you just had a baby. So I want to do the internal pelvic exam and look at all your muscles, what's going on. Right. So right. I, I actually got linked up with this perfect physical therapist for me and my body and then spent about four and a half months working with her. And she did so many things, starting with my transverse abdominis, which is like the lower abs. And she worked on stabilizing my posture. I had like a big sway in my lower back. She said, she's like, mentally, you're acting like you're still pregnant in your body, which was wild. Do you know something very interesting, Sarah? Hmm. We don't have much literature out there that shows that your body sticks to the changes you made in pregnancy. So Jill Teen Misselbaum, who's actually a great colleague and works out at the University of Wisconsin in Madison, she has done some case study work and she's shown that your pelvis stays in that kind of anterior position for a little bit longer afterwards. And so if you're not fixing that, you know, how long does it stay after that? These are some questions that no one's willing to look at. It's not sexy to research the postpartum woman. It's really sexy to study the athlete that's torn the ACL. But mm. I'm going to change that, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, so interesting. It's amazing how many areas there are in science that just you dig into it and you start talking to researchers and you realize like, we haven't collectively asked those questions and studied that right. enough yet. There's just right. so many big opportunities out there. Yeah. I mean, I would love to take a group of pregnant women, postpartum women, and then just women that have not had babies and compare their walking and running gait on a treadmill 
and just see, like, look at this difference. And then what can we do? You know, if we can increase the knowledge that this is even something that happens, if we can show that, then we can have some things in place to prevent your back injury from happening. You know, if on week four, when your physician cleared you to go back to exercise, if the first person you met with was a physical therapist who said, look at this anterior pelvic tilt that's making your back sway. Let's just work on whenever you're walking, you treat your pelvis like a bowl, which actually I think the Latin word for pelvis is bowl. You treat it like a bowl and you don't spill forward and you don't spill backwards and you stack your ribs on top of it so you're not cheating with your upper back either. Like just that simple cue could have been so helpful. Hmm. Something she had me do, which I thought was like so much more helpful. It seems so silly at first, but she has me put a piece of tape between my sternum, like the place right between Mm -hmm. my ribs and my pubic bone when I was standing up straight. And then if I would arch my back, I would rip the tape. Like if I stuck out my belly too much. And she's like, just make sure it's always in a straight line. It should be stacked over each other. And I realized how much my ribs sheared forward. So like my bottom ribs would flare up and I would you know, the whole up out kind of like posture that women can have. And the same, I would over tilt my back and end up getting crunching in my lower back. And I mean, one day is not bad, but you know, 90 days later, you're having some serious pain. Right. And then you go pick up your child who's getting heavier and heavier. And, you know, especially when they're having that massive tantrum and you have to sweep him off the floor in whatever body posture you can, <laughs> yep. your body's just going to say like, oh, hello, sorry, I'm not going to respond to this and go into spasm. Then you have two people writhing on the floor instead of just one. So. <laughs> you mean my 30 pound animated kettlebell? That <laughs> right, like, exactly. Child? Exactly, yes. You know? Talk us through the like 12 to 18 months postpartum. What are some guidelines or kind of benchmarks that people can think about? for three months and six months and 12 months. Is that something that you have that you can share? Yeah. So it's very variable, right? So like if you started when you were cleared by your physician at whatever, six weeks, if you started working on your core strength and your core was a solid rock, steady foundation, I think till at least a year after you're still healing. I mean, I think they say that after C-section, only like at seven months, your fascia is only back to 93% of its original strength. And so really up to a year, your body's still recovering, recovering from all of the trauma. And so I think that at least till six months, you're working on building up those strength levels. And you know, there are always different little movements in place that we can watch you do. Like for me with runners, I like to watch them do a little single leg squat. And just that little movement, I like to explain that runners do a million single leg squats while they're running, right? From one leg to the other, or even just a hop from one leg to the other. So I just watch that. I don't even sometimes need to put them on a treadmill to watch what they're doing. And I can tell if they're stable enough to be doing the activity they want to or not. And so I think it's very variable and we can't give a prescriptive, like at 12 weeks, you should do this back to running program. I think it all depends on how strong you are and where you are in the in the realm of things to then begin running or not running. But physiologically and internally, I think it's almost, you know, up to 12 months before your body's like healed from everything that's going on. So I know the cliche is it's the longest, shortest time. And it can sound so cliche when people tell it to you. But for me, knowing that that it was okay if things took a year. Like if I walked for six to eight months, actually as an athlete, that would be okay. Like I could do a lot of walks and I could get back into running and jogging. 
as I needed to at my own pace. For me, I just wanted to always pay attention, like, were things changing? Like, was sex, Mm -hmm. for example, getting better? Was I feeling stronger in my waist and my abs and my core? And then specifically with weight, I don't mind sharing how much weight I lost and gained because I think it's useful for other people. Some people lose it right away. But I put on about 55 pounds and it took me... it took me like 12 months to come back to yep, my yep. to my original weight, like between 10 and 12 months. I was 180 something pounds for a long time after I gave birth and I'm normally about 150 pounds. Those 30 pounds took six or seven months to really right, you know, melt off. Yeah. And you hear things like, oh, and you're breastfeeding, it just falls off you. That was great for the first kid. I was lucky with that. You know, I actually think I got skinnier after the first child when I was done breastfeeding because I think life was just insane and I wasn't like exercising. But with the second one, I tried everything. And I think I'm just, even now, I'm always flirting with the line of I'm still not 100%. I still, you know, Sid is turning, wow, he's three and a half. And I still have loose skin around my belly. And I'm thinking, Okay, you know, bikini season's coming up and I have no excuse because I don't even have a baby running around. But being okay with that and like wearing it like, you know, my tattoo from motherhood has taken a lot of mental forgiving and acceptance, you know, especially from having that self-image of being an athlete and being fit. This is something that I think is so interesting and not talked about enough. The idea that like, of course, we should expect our bodies to change. They're doing this incredible incredible transformation. Like we were joking around before we got on the show to record that if we just took a second to just say out loud, like I'm growing a human being with my body, (laughs) like (laughs) I'm doing this like huge, enormous thing, then maybe it's like, oh, of course our bodies change and have some wear and tear, maybe a lot of wear and tear to show for it. It's like harder than a marathon. And I would love to be in a place where these I don't know if we should call them battle wounds, but these scars are things that we're proud of and that we're celebrating. It's like, yeah, I've got some extra flap because I have a uterus and it got to be the size of a watermelon. So what? I know. I ate my weight in ice cream and I put 50 pounds on. So when else was I going to be allowed to eat ice cream just because I wanted to? You see that thing screaming at me on the airplane? Right. I made that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think you hit that spot on, you know, just being okay with the timeline for things. And I think, you know, everyone's different. So you see that celebrity who's tooting that they're touting. What's the correct word? I think touting, but if they're tooting, it's fine. Exactly. (laughs) They might be doing crunches and tooting. Their pelvic floor might be a little weak, but if they're touting that, you know, like, look at me, my kid's only six months old and I'm a hundred percent back. Like, I don't believe it. First of all, bodies are different and they may have had a very easy pregnancy and delivery and may have recovered quickly, or I hate to say this, but maybe they're going to compensate and then get injured because they just haven't, you know, like gotten strong enough. So mm-hmm. it just takes time. And, you know, you think about like what it takes to heal from a broken bone or a sprain or anything in your body and the time that it takes to heal and recover Somebody else that we just interviewed, Lily Nichols, who is the nutritionist, and I'll link to her episode in in the show notes for everyone. She talked about how superficially she lost all the weight right away. 
But she ended up being too skinny and it wasn't helpful. And just because she looked one way on the outside didn't mean that she was healed. And a lot of people would congratulate her on her hard work. And she's like, no, no, no. I have so much soft tissue like healing still to do. The collagen repair, the fascia, like all of the pieces are still overstretched and in new places and need recovery. No matter where you are, what your body looks like on the outside, it can still take so much more than what we see. Right. And, you know, tissue heals about six to eight weeks. Like we all know, you know, you break your bone, but everything around it has to heal too. So the nerves, the fascia, everything, we're not just a single layer of existing organism. Wow. I almost messed that up on your show, Sarah. (laughs) But uh, We're moms. um, It's allowed. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I know, right? You know, we've got lots of layers. Your body keeps moving, but how it moves can change. And, you know, getting everything back to normal or neutral is really important. So even though, you know, you may feel like, oh, yeah, my muscle's back to normal, you know, like making sure that you're activating it correctly and you're using it correctly and not just moving and hanging on your tendons and ligaments. It's all a package deal. And so we just need to do more education out there and We need more hard scientific facts to show like, yes, this is really happening for people to buy into what we're saying. Do you have any resources that you love or websites or podcasts, things that help people learn? Like, where do I go to learn more about what exercises to do postpartum? Like, what are, what would you recommend? Yeah. One of my colleagues, Christine Iverson, has put together this website. I think it's Every Mom Athletics. And I can send you the links there so you can put in the show notes. But She has done what I've been thinking of doing for the longest time. She's a physical therapist and retired from the army. And she's put together this beautiful, inviting, easy to understand and navigate website that has basically all the levels of core strength and exercises. And I think as you go along, you can buy some of the higher level stuff. But it's a resource for people and a place for people to start. The other paper that I like for people who are really into research and want to be nerdy about it. The British Journal of Sports Medicine has done a a series on exercise and pregnancy and postpartum, which we can link to too. That's a good resource because they set out, you know, what happens to the body during this process and what are some, you know, things that you shouldn't do and what are some things you should do, how to exercise during pregnancy, you know, things like don't overheat, that's bad. You know, how hard do you work? Well, I could tell you you should work at a 12 to 14 RP, but what does that mean? Well, maybe you should be able to talk versus like not like be holding your breath and things like that. So there's some good like solid recommendations for people looking for guidelines both during pregnancy and postpartum. So those are two resources that come to mind. But, you know, being careful about who you're learning from and what they knew about the body is really important too. Perfect. So for everyone listening, I put those in the show notes and those will be available on startuppregnant.com. And also if you're listening in a media player, the show notes are also right there. Shafali, what about motherhood was particularly surprising or challenging for you? Oh, (laughs) I'm just trying to keep my list short, Sarah. (laughs) Well, the biggest thing for me is, you know, I'd always heard about daycare and going back to work. And I never really questioned that throughout the pregnancy, you know, and I looked for daycares and I found a great one and everything was all set. 
But leaving my baby at home was really hard. And I think Danielle Laporte said, you know, I was one of those moms who couldn't wait to get back home. And I went from being a sports physical therapist who wanted to work with a sports team someday to not at all wanting to be away from my son and basically having a career change. And luckily in physical therapy, there's so many ways you can go. You can go back to clinic full time. You could go into a different specialty. And, you know, I ended up in academics because I still wanted to feel challenged, but I wanted a different thing out of life. And so I had a I would say not a drastic career change, but a career change nonetheless, because I had this motherly thing in me that wanted me to be home more and be more present. The other thing that shocked me was the sleep deprivation. It was hard. You know, when you're tired and cranky, you know, to be able to behave at work and tolerate the little things that normally you can let go, you know, that was really hard. And the one thing I I hope for everyone is that they have a really supportive work environment when they come back from having a baby that understands that there'll be days where you're completely not yourself because you're just exhausted and sleep deprived. And that I hope that everyone has people that can lift them up and help them during that process. So I kept it short. <laughs> <laughs> that second one, the sleep deprivation, it's real and it can have so many mental effects and it's so hard. We don't live close enough to people in, in these tight-knit communities where there's enough support, frankly. I think it's really hard. And one of the things I want to organize for number two, number two is something we're thinking about down the line. I was thinking of doing instead of a meal train, or let's be realistic, in addition to a meal train, yeah. um, <laughs> is a toddler train where every weekend a friend comes to hang out with our toddler for a couple of hours just to give us a little reprieve. Because from what I've seen from parents with more than one kid, it's a whirlwind of nonstop energy and demands on your time. And it's just, there's no break. You know, this is kind of funny, kind of sadistic. Alex and I, my husband, we look on Instagram and whenever we see those posts that are like, it's the perfect Sunday. I slept in <laughs> until 11 and then I read a book for two hours and I took a nap and then I journaled and I made a vision board, like whatever it is that clearly you don't have kids. I send it to him right. in a private message and I'm, I send him like a devil face or I send him. Right, like, right, I'm right. like, they don't have kids because it just, I don't know it's what it is though, Sarah, with the second one, either that they have no choice, but I thought it was way easier. Like, I just wore Sid everywhere I went, and he's a way more resilient child than I think my first, just because he had two parents who didn't know what they were doing, constantly watching his every move and trying to figure out every move, versus the second one, there's no time to give that much detail and attention. You just slap him in your carrier and you you go to the park. So I think that like... I guess I was maybe more mentally prepared, but the second one was just easier. And so I'm sure the toddler train will definitely help, but I think you'll be surprised that you're not hit in the face by this humongous, big, you know, black cloud. It's a little smaller. You can dodge it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so. I'm so glad you said that because... We just had a meeting with our tax accountant the other night, and he was like, two is the worst. It's so hard. It's the definition of hell. And Alex and I were like, um, uh, um, uh. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely different, but I just felt like I knew what was coming more. And so I could like mentally prepare for it. Mm. 
Mm. That's actually a blessing to hear. And I would like to choose to believe that. I'm just going to take those stories and put them into my brain. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yep. So I want to dig into this a tiny bit more. You mentioned that you kind of made a career shift or career change structurally. Like you were still in the same field, but the hours shifted and the, the way that you wanted to work shifted. Why was that? And what did that look like? So previously, my job, I would see patients in the morning in the clinic and then I would kind of a little break in the afternoon till the high school let out. And then I would go to the high school and support the athletic trainer and help, you know, the rehab of the injured athletes. And I would also cover sports. So my week typically in the fall, Monday and Wednesdays, I'd be in the clinic after school and school would end at two. So from about two to five, I was in the high school athletic training room. At one point on Wednesday evenings covered middle school football on Thursday evenings covered JV football, which would start at six. And then on Friday nights cover varsity football that would start at seven. And it wasn't uncommon to go till about 10 o'clock. And so, you know, I had my older son and I think it came to me while I was pumping in a high school parking lot, hoping that I didn't scare any of the children around at halftime you know, it came to me that like, I should be home, cuddling my child, nursing him and putting him to bed. Like, I was not happy being away from him. I was not happy. The things that brought me joy just changed. It changed my priorities a little bit. And so that's when I actually had to start looking at, well, what else is out there? Because all my life, I I had my dream job, and uh, I was doing it. And then this thing came into my life that just made me do a headstand and topple over. That kind of was one of the moments. I've still tried to delve into the sportsman world because it's still my passion. And so I often do trips where I travel with teams, which then I feel like I give it my 100%. If I'm out late or, you know, working or I'm on the field, like I don't have to worry about, well, it's 530 and my kid's still at daycare and I'm not done here and, you know, I'm not overstretched, but I still try to do some other things to kind of supplement that. You're not the first person that I've heard this from. And every woman is different. So whatever your story is, people who are listening, that's your story. I just am really glad that people share this moment that says, you know, there's a lot more demands on my time. And there's a lot more of me needed physically in proximity to this person. It doesn't mean I can't work. It just means work looks different. And there's one woman I interviewed who used to be a sales rep and travel six days a week. And she didn't actually realize until she well into her pregnancy, she's like, I don't think this is going to work for parenting. I don't know if I can be away six out of seven days and make it work. And Annie Dean, who we interviewed actually is one of our very first guests talks about how to put flexibility into your life and design it into work because it's such a huge part of setting up the systems for success. Like what hours do you work? When do you have space to negotiate? Do you work a 40, 50 or 60 hour schedule? Or do you work a 20, 25, 30, 35 hour schedule? So I'm just so glad that you shared that as well, because I wish that someone had gone back and told my 25 to 27 year old self, think of this also as you're designing your career path. And what you did is so interesting because you said, okay, I still want to be in this field, but I'm going to switch from like on-site working with teams to doing research on this kind of puzzle. So you're addressing the puzzle from a different angle. I think that's such a brilliant (laughs) career move. 
Well, it didn't seem brilliant throughout the process, but I'm glad I'm here at the end of it talking about it. So. Isn't that so true? There's so yeah. many times when I'm like, I think people think I'm competent from the outside. Like, yeah. <laughs> It feels like I just closed my eyes and took a leap and somehow I landed on the ground. So I'm going to keep staying here till I have to take another leap, uh, you know? So. It's so true. It's so true. Okay. So something you shared with me that you said you have some hacks and tricks up your sleeve. One of my favorite questions <laughs> is to ask people about what they don't do. You know, I think right. doing it all is such a BS term. We all pick and choose like what we do and work and what we do in our parenting journeys. So can you share with us some of the things that you don't do? Yeah, I don't clean. <laughs> it's funny. There are lots of things you talk to your potential fiance, boyfriend, who then becomes your husband maybe about, right? Or even your partner. But, you know, like chores and things, uh, sometimes you talk about it, sometimes you don't. But Brian feels really strongly that if it's our house, we need to keep it clean and we need to be proud of it. And I feel very strongly that if it's going to take away from my time with the kids, then we need to outsource it. And so it's only very recently that he's been more comfortable with us getting someone to come and clean the house. Now, granted, we're doing a little bit better financially than just being new grads out of school when I started to push the idea. So, but you know, I outsourced that. I uh, got my parents their green cards so they can come and do a lot of stuff in the house. <laughs> so, you know, just having grandparents around to help with pickups and drop offs, so that kind of thing. But I think one of my most brilliant hacks that uh, a good colleague, when I was working at Dr. Physical Therapy Program, Maggie Horn taught me is she had a whole drawer of what she would probably dress up and do in the morning in her office drawer. And when she got to work, she'd do her hair, her makeup. That's how she'd be most efficient. And so when I moved into this job this summer, I have a drawer with a straightener, a mirror, and you know, just a little bit of makeup. And that's how I uh, look presentable in the morning. So if you catch me, you know, 10 minutes before I've walked in, or like while I'm walking in, I look like a completely different person. <laughs> I also sometimes keep extra sets of clothes. So for that random snotty uh, nose on my shoulder that I love, I don't deny it because I've got my work clothes on. I just put on my clean shirt when I get to work. <laughs> I love so. that. There's something freeing about having like an extra shirt or clothes. God, those boogers too. I mean, right. it's like you're dressed for work and you've got it all there and then your kid turns and just snots all over your front. And you're like, really? Right. And, you, and that's the day you've decided that that nice black satin shirt that has to be dry clean <laughs> is the right one to wear. So you've got that on and now you've got snot all over yourself and you don't have a clue what to do because you're late for your meeting to begin with. So Yes. Alex started wearing undershirts consistently because that's what he wears around the house and his button downs are hung by the door because right, right before he leaves, he throws it on. But there's no wearing that button down in the house because otherwise right. <laughs> it just wouldn't yep. work. Someone's yogurt hands come at you no matter what. So. <laughs> it's so true. So What else? You got yeah. any other hacks and stuff yeah. that you love? Well, I've tried not to feel that mom guilt. I think that's a real thing, but I also think we need successful women to be role models for our children. You know, I was just talking to my sister-in-law. She works for a big bank, and, you know, we've talked about some of the struggles that women before us have had in big, high-flying jobs because they haven't been considered equal. And to be 
a role model for my kids, for my sister-in-law to be a role model for my kids and to show them that like we go to work and we can be equal at the table, I think is really important. And so as soon as I have that mom guilt, you know, last night I was at work, I had a conference call with my Australian PhD mentor at, at 5.30. By the time I wrapped things up and I got home, it was seven o'clock. Everyone had eaten dinner. It was going to be bedtime in 15 minutes. I listened to the Startup Pregnant podcast on my drive and I tried to not feel guilty about putting in that extra effort because, you know, nothing good comes up in negative thoughts. And so just thinking positively of what amazing role model you're going to be for your kids. So mm, I love that. I think that mindset shift, it's just where we're putting our attention. Like, are we putting our attention on all the things that we didn't do? Or are we putting our attention on the things that we're doing all right at? And Alex and I both see therapists and they say, like, you don't have to be the perfect parent. You just have to be a good enough parent. And that really helps me because there are times when I get into bed and I'm like, what did I do? Like, it was any of that useful? Or this morning, we didn't have any food left. And I just threw like some slices of bread. I didn't even make a sandwich. I just threw some bread and like a pouch in a thing. And I was like, sorry, kid, there's your lunch. He's going to be fine. Right? Right. I didn't make a perfect sandwich and he is going to be like probably even happier that it's just bread. Because <laughs> right, you know what? He's going to eat the bread, just the bread anyway. So you <laughs> totally. saved yourself throwing away food and feeling sorry for that. So. <laughs> exactly. Shafali, so. it's such a treat to have you on the show. And I'm a little hesitant to tell everyone where to find you just because you have so much guilt <laughs> on me. <laughs> but You know, um, Sarah, we'll have to do this again because I didn't even get into the crazy breast pump stories that I have to share. But Oh my gosh. We will have to have <laughs> you back. I would love that. Where can people find your research and your work? And where do you hang out on the internet? Is there anywhere people can find you? Yeah. So probably Twitter. I'm Iron Mom PT on Twitter or just Shafali Christopher. I'm not that good at like figuring out all these things. I also teach at Elon University in North Carolina. And so I have a faculty page on their physical therapy website. My research is not published yet. I'm still working. I'm very, very new. And so keep checking back there. And hopefully you'll hear more in the next few months and hopefully or, yeah. <laughs> or at least the next few years about this topic. So I think it's so, so great what you're doing and what you're researching. It's so needed. Sometimes we look at the calendar, we're like, 2018, we haven't figured this out. Okay, right, now's right. the time. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to definitely have you back because I want to hear all about the research and this podcast will be around for a while. So thank you. Well, thanks, Sarah, for having me. It's always good to talk to a good friend. All right, everyone, just a reminder that if you want to learn more about the mastermind we're putting together for Startup Pregnant, it's an amazing community support space for women to connect with each other about entrepreneurship and parenting. We're doing the beta round this summer, so you can find out a lot more about the program over on our website, startuppregnant.com mastermind. Get your name on the list so that I can send you information about it because we're putting together a small pilot group for a group of women this summer. We would love to have you there. And you know, I always say this and I mean it. Leave us a review on iTunes if you like our show. It takes a few seconds and it really does help us a lot. 
If you want more of what we're talking about, go over to startuppregnant.com and get on our email list. We send out a weekly newsletter with time-saving tips for parents and entrepreneurs. And I always include a weekly gadget or tool or something awesome that we've stumbled upon to help make your life just a little bit easier. And as always, you can reach out to us at hello at startuppregnant.com. We love hearing from you.